situation here turned into a whole other thing, mm-hmm. uh, racism being at the at the root of it. Uh, but first and foremost, what do you make of how everything has panned out? I mean, last week, Justin Jones was out of a job, quote unquote, in representing the people. Yesterday, he's back on the job. And 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 people are still trying to figure out what's going to happen with Justin Pearson. But but what does this say? Justin Jones said this is an attack on democracy. How do you see it, Brother Michael? Well, this is this is racism, pure and simple. And this falls in line with the history of Tennessee and the um, history of the fall of Reconstruction and the Jim Crow era after Reconstruction ends in 1877 when uh, these former Confederate states rewrote their state constitutions to impose poll taxes and literacy tests to suppress the African-American vote because we were voting in high percentages. And then a lot of these Southern states like Mississippi, uh, we made up as well as South Carolina, we made up the majority of the population and in many cases, the majority of voters. So you have um, a fear among these white Republicans, especially white male Republicans, that their numbers are declining population wise in in the U.S. And you have an increasing number of non-white people uh, who are making up the population and as well as the voters, an increasing number. Okay, so this was a total move. Uh, they, they said it was because of uh, house decorum. They broke house decorum when they um, spoke out of turn on the on the House of Representatives on the state assembly floor for about 15 seconds. Their mics were cut off. Then they used the bullhorn. They're trying to draw attention to the mass shooting that took place at the uh, Christian school just a week before. Six people were killed, including three nine year olds. OK, now. Uh, the Republicans in the state assembly, they have a super majority. Okay. Uh, it's over, uh, it's at least two thirds Republicans. So no bill can uh, get passed without Republicans voting for it. There's only about 25, uh, Democrats in the state assembly out of, uh, out of about a hundred. Okay. So they specifically did this to humiliate these brothers and to send a clear message that you're too uppity. They were trying to put them back in their place. These same white men, 60, 70, 80 years ago, would have been involved in the physical lynching of these two African-American men. So they couldn't do a physical lynching. So they did a high tech political lynching of them. But this is backfiring uh, on these Republicans because because it's signing a spotlight on their on, on their racism. All right, folks, welcome back to the culture here on the Black Star Network. I'm your host, Faraji Muhammad. Uh, we have been keeping you posted about what has been going on down in Tennessee since last week, since the expulsion of those two black uh, Democratic uh, lawmakers from the Tennessee House of, uh, of Representatives. Now we know that they not only were expelled, but it was a national conversation, national story, all because they wanted to get involved in a peaceful protest for gun control and gun char- uh, and, and gun reform. That's where it stemmed from, folks. Well, sort of, kind of. It really stemmed from racism of for, uh, of for these two black lawmakers, Justin Pearson out of Nashville, Representative Justin Pearson, and former Representative Justin, I mean, sorry, former Representative uh, Justin Jones, excuse me, out of Nashville, and former Representative uh, Justin Pearson of Memphis. Uh, but now... Last week, as we reported, uh, yesterday, I'm sorry, we reported that 
it would be up to the natural natural council to determine whether Justin Jones uh, can uh, get back into the seat. Well, after yesterday's meeting, they decided, yes, we are going to send Justin Jones back to the state House of Representatives. I want to show some footage uh, of what happened in that meeting yesterday. Take a look. He was a bold and unapologetic advocate for the community. The people chose their representative. And with this vote, we will send a strong message to our state government and across the country that we will not tolerate threats to our democracy. And as you can see, that was just a little bit of what happened last night as Justin Jones returned to the House floors to cheers. His fellow Democrat representative, Antonio Parkinson, introduced him to the session as, quote, our newest member. <laughs> the crowd gathered at the meeting, erupted into cheers after the vote. Uh, and those marching with Justin Jones, Representative Jones chanted, whose house? Our house. Now, uh, I want to put this quote up there, Keenan, of what Mr. Jones had to say from the steps of the Capitol after walking the floor blocks from City Hall. He told the crowd, quote, today we are sending a resounding message that democracy will not be killed in the comfort of silence. Today, we send a clear message to Speaker Cameron Sexton that the people will now allow his crimes against democracy to happen without challenge. Now. The state law allows local legislative bodies, folks, to appoint interim House members to fill the seats of expelled lawmakers until an election is held. The 36-0 vote to return Justin Jones to his seat followed a vote to suspend a procedural rule that prevents an individual from being nominated and appointed to the seat in the same meeting. Uh, so there has been a victory in that regard with Representative Justin Jones returning to the state house. The, the next step will be how the Shelby County commissioners will handle the, uh, the case of former Representative Justin Pearson. This is the young brother who we've seen on RMU, um, an articulate, very, very powerful young brother who is, who his still is, has not, um, has, uh, uh, still has not been put back into the house just yet, but we will see how Shelby County in Memphis handles the situation. I want to bring my brother, Brother Michael and Hotep into the conversation of the AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, African History uh, Network podcast, to give us his take on what we've been seeing down in Tennessee. Brother Michael, good to talk to you, brother. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing all right today, Faraji. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. So this situation here turned into a whole other thing, mm -hmm. uh, racism being at the at the root of it. 
but first and foremost, what do you make of how everything has panned out? I mean, last week, Justin Jones was out of a job, quote unquote, in representing the people. Yesterday, he's back on the job. And, and, and people are still trying to figure out what's going to happen with Justin Pearson. But, but what does this say? Justin Jones said this is an attack on democracy. How do you see it, Brother Michael? Well, this is, this is racism, pure and simple. And this falls in line with the history of Tennessee and the um, history of the fall of Reconstruction and the Jim Crow era after Reconstruction ends in 1877 when uh, these former Confederate states rewrote their state constitutions to impose poll taxes and literacy tests to suppress the African-American vote because we were voting in high percentages. And then a lot of these Southern states like Mississippi, uh, we made up as well as South Carolina, we made up the majority of the population and in many cases, the majority of voters. So you have um, a fear among these white Republicans, especially white male Republicans, that their numbers are declining population wise in, in the US. And you have an increasing number of non-white people uh, who are making up the population and as well as the voters, an increasing number. Okay, so this was a total move. Uh, they, they said it was because of uh, house decorum. They broke house decorum when they um, spoke out of turn on the on the House of Representatives, on the State Assembly floor for about 15 seconds. Their mics were cut off. Then they used the bullhorn. They're trying to draw attention to the mass shooting that took place at the uh, Christian school just the week before. Six people were killed, including three nine-year-olds, okay? Now, uh, the, Republicans in the state assembly, they have a super majority, okay? Uh, it's, over, uh, it's at least two-thirds Republicans. So no bill can uh, get passed without Republicans voting for it. There's only about 25 uh, Democrats in the state assembly out of, uh, out of about a hundred. Okay. So the, they specifically did this to humiliate these brothers and to send a clear message that you're too uppity. They were trying to put them back in their place. These same white men, 60, 70, 80 years ago would have been involved in the physical lynching of these two African-American men. So they couldn't do a physical lynching. So they did a high tech political lynching of them, but this is backfiring. Uh, on these Republicans because, because it's shining a spotlight on their on, on their racism. And then uh, Gloria Johnson, the representative who was not voted out, she was saved by one vote. OK, because uh, uh, they wanted to vote her out as well. So uh, when, when we studied the history of Tennessee, brother, and uh, the Ku Klux Klan was founded December 24th, 1865 on Christmas Eve in Pulaski, Tennessee. And I can give you more history on Tennessee. Um, this falls right in line with it. I'm not surprised by this at all. Mm -mm. Mm. I'm not surprised either. Because when this whole situation went down last week, Brother Michael, I was just like, this is Tennessee, folks. This is not like the bastion of liberalism. This is not like, uh, you know, the most progressive state in the country. So this is Tennessee. This is going to happen. I think people um, are, have put this into a position of, you know, a democracy is being attacked. But they're operating from a different set of rules down there. I, I remember reading when when uh, uh, Representative Faison, who serves as the chair of the of the House Committee uh, in charge of this whole uh, of, that was in charge or responsible for this expulsion, 
when he was asked on CNN about going to the ethics committee, guess what? He was like, no, we didn't feel like we needed to go to the ethics committee. We can make our decision on, the, on our own. I went to, the, to my, my colleagues and we decided to make this unilateral decision on my own. So they're not playing by the same rules, Brother Michael. Well, the Republicans are playing for keeps. Republicans don't care about democracy. Republicans are, pay, are playing for control. Politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources, and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, their adoption, interpretation, and enforcement. Republicans don't care about the rules. They make them up as they go along. Okay. Um, so, and they're, and they're fighting to maintain power. This is what we have to understand. This is why I've said on this show before, and I said on Roland's show, Roland Martin's show, and I've said on the African History Network show, we have to stop telling, the people mean well when they say this, but we have to stop telling African-Americans to exercise your right to vote. You don't vote for exercise. If you want to exercise, you go to the gym and work out. You vote for power, C -c plain and simple. You vote mm. for power. You vote mm. for policies that are beneficial to you, your family, your community, your people. And what's good for African-Americans is good for America in general. When we change what the goal is, the goal is not to fight the good fight. The goal is not to, to exercise your right to vote. You don't vote for Dr. King and Fannie Lou Hamer. Yes, we need to study. Yes, we need to honor and respect them. Yes, we need to study the history of them. But you vote for power and control. When we change what the goal is, then the the movements then the strategies that we put in place to bring about the goal to bring mm. it to fruition will change but as long as we keep our people thinking that you go vote for exercise and you go for some vote for symbolism things like this they can just write in anybody's name they can vote for mickey mouse or donald duck and then you can let people get into office who are working to dismantle the legacy of john lewis and dr king and Fannie Lou Hamer and hosea williams etc so we have to be smarter in how we message this also Oh, that's a great point. Excellent point, brother. Excellent. We don't vote to exercise. We vote for power. We vote Man, for power, plain and simple. Everybody and, else understands this. Republicans right. voted. Republicans held their nose and voted for Donald Trump in 2016. For many Republicans, he was not their first, second, third, fourth, or fifth uh, choice. But they said, I watched, I watched uh, about 100 speeches and interviews that Trump did during 2016. I, I reported on this for 9, 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF here in Detroit that the radio station, the African History Network is on. I saw numerous focus groups with uh, Republicans and uh, many of them became Trump supporters. They said this is about the Supreme Court. They said this is about the federal judges. This is why they voted for Trump. They saw Trump as a means to an end. They used him as a tool to accomplish what they want. They got three conservative Supreme Court justices. They got 226 federal judges, which are lifetime appointments. They got Roe versus Wade overturned. This is what they were aiming for. They saw him as a means to an end. We need to understand how to use uh, politicians as a means to an end, as a tool to accomplish what it is that we want. But to understand what it is that you want, you have to understand history, law, politics, and economics. There it is. Look, we got to take a quick pause when we come forward. More conversation with my brother, brother Michael and Hotep. And I want to get your thoughts on this, folks, because the part, and part of this process is how do we preserve the right for peaceful protest? How do we make sure that this doesn't happen in some other city, some other state? Let's have that conversation. Stay with us. So you tune into the culture here on the Black Star Network. All right, folks, welcome back to the show. We've been talking to my brother, Michael Inhotep of the African History Network. 
uh, show and who is a researcher and scholar. As we've been having a conversation about the latest development in this case in Tennessee, where Justin Jones, Representative Justin Jones, was reappointed to a seat last night by the Nashville Metro Council. Now folks are waiting to hear back from the Shelby County commissioners uh, for the reappointment of former Representative Justin Pearson uh, out of uh, Memphis, Tennessee. And all of this comes as a result of their involvement in a gun control, gun reform protest that happened at the state capitol uh, a few days ago uh, in last week. Now, the question becomes, and I want to bring my brother Mal uh, Michael back into this because you dropped the jewel. We're not voting just to exercise or just to, as a feudal. It's not just something that we just do. We're voting for power. But right. now when we're looking at the situation, that, that this is also an infringement on this idea of a rightful, peaceful protest. I remember reading, and this is what Mr. S I think it was Mr. Sexton, you probably came across the same thing, Brother Michael. Mm -hmm. He said that the march that was comprised of about a thousand people on the grounds of the state house, he said that the march was similar to what they saw on January the 6th. Yeah, he said he compared it to he and others compared it to the January 6, 2021 insurrection. Well, if you watch, if you get most of your news from Fox News, that's what the that's what Cool Plotter TV is lying and telling these people. No, it was not the the the, the uh, one thousand people who were protesting for gun for for common sense gun laws after six people were shot and killed in Nashville Nashville and, and, and the state of Tennessee has some of the most lax gun laws in the country. Uh, that was a peaceful protest. So you have this, you have this false equivalency, false equivalency. They tried to compare the January 6, 2021 insurrection to black, black lives matter protests, even, uh, even protests where they, there may have been, um, uh, cars burned or, you know, uh, uh, property damage, things like this. They leave out the fact that these domestic terrorists that Donald Trump sent to the U.S. Capitol building beat up 140 police officers. Somehow they forget that. Right, right, okay? right. Somehow they forget that they were they, that they were breaking out windows. They were defecating in the uh, U.S. Capitol. They were stealing property. They built a gallow with a hangman's noose. You had some of these domestic terrorists yelling, hang Mike Pence, hang Mike Pence, threatening to execute the vice president of the United States. Somehow they have am selective amnesia, and they don't mention any of that. Okay, but they just try to compare what... Uh, the protest that took place in Nashville, which was a peaceful protest, they try to compare that to the January 6, 2021 insurrection to then justify trying to expel these two brothers. But the chickens are coming home to roost, and these white Republicans have opened up a can of political whoop-ass that they can't put the lid back on. This is going to blow up in their face, and this is energizing the youth in, uh, in Tennessee, but also across the country, because they're seeing how these people in elected office are ignoring your concerns and spitting in your face. And then they're trying to expel the very people that you voted to sit, to send there to represent you. Okay. So this is blowing up in their face. So, so, so that, so how do we get to the place where now the, the, the level of retribution isn't against the idea or, or isn't against the right for peaceful protest, because that's the thing that, that folks are concerned about at this point. Mm -hmm. That, you know, okay, Nashville did what it did. Memphis folks are waiting. 
there may be a high level of retribution where these two cities may not get to pro certain projects done, they may not get certain funding from the state to do things. But more importantly, if citizens feel like they can't voice their concern, they can't protest peacefully, right? Then, 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 and and they feel like there's going to be some sort of backlash from that. How do we protect that, brother Michael? Well, you you change the you change the game on it. You change the playing field. Um, when uh, in 2015, I think it was when you had the. Uh, Indiana Religious Freedom Bathroom Bill, the Religious Freedom Bill in, in Indiana 2015. And the state legislature passed this bill. It was ostensibly called the Transgender Bathroom Bill, right? right. What happened? Uh, corporations spoke out and spoke out in a strong way. And they and, and they denounced what took place in Indiana. Uh, some corporations threatened to stop projects that they had going on in the state of Indiana. You had uh, conferences that threatened to cancel. There was one conference that did cancel. You had the CEO of um, uh, of Apple uh, of Apple speaking out. You had Angie List, the NCAA, all of this. Where are the white corporations that we spend billions of dollars with on an annual basis? Where are they? Why do they have uh, amnesia and laryngitis when these two African-Americans were expelled? I haven't heard any corporations denounce what happened. I haven't heard any corporations say that if you continue to to uh, silence their voice, if you continue to do this, we're going to shut down plants or we're going to withdraw projects or anything like this. So what well, we have to African-Americans have to send a clear message to these corporations that if you stand up for LGBTQ, then you need to stand up for BLACK. Because if you don't, then that means we're going to target you with a targeted sustained economic withdrawal strategy. See, everybody likes to talk about and love Dr. King, but Dr. King, April 3rd, 1968, in Memphis, Tennessee, he said that we have to always anchor our external direct action with the power of economic withdrawal, which means when you have mass protests, you also have to have targeted, sustained economic withdrawal strategy targeted at your opponent to weaken them. OK. And he told them he told them in Memphis, he said, go out and tell your friends and family to boycott Coca-Cola, Wonder Bread, Hearts Bread and Silt and Hearts Bread and Silt Test Milk because of uh, because of their discriminatory hiring practices. Now, I haven't heard any of the big three civil rights organizations call for economic boycotts of anything in Tennessee. They may call for a travel advisory. So right. we have to have a third force. We have to have a third force of black led organizations that are not beholden to white corporations for donations to be able to push this economic agenda, this economic withdrawal strategy. Um, and then the and then the other thing is we have to learn how to fight differently. So uh, when the uh, Sandy Hook shooting took place in 2012, California teachers and California has like the largest teachers union in the country. California teachers started doing research and they found out that their pension funds were partly invested in three gun manufacturers. One of those gun manufacturers made the Bushmaster AR-15 that was used in the Sandy Hook shooting. So what did they do? They withdrew millions of dollars of their pension fund dollars from these three gun manufacturers. See, we don't we don't understand oftentimes we're financing our own dehumanization. OK, so so when we talk about redistributing the pain through targeted sustained economic withdrawal strategies, it's not just an economic boycott. It's not just standing in front of a, a white owned business blocking the door entrance. No. Look at where your pension fund dollars are invested. Contact your benefits manager tomorrow. Look at where your 401k dollars are invested. 
A lot of people are invested in privatized prisons through pension funds and 401k dollars and don't know this and financing our own dehumanization. So we have to learn how to fight to win, not fight to fight a good fight or or this this deals with voting. Also, we have to vote strategically and understand one whose policies are most beneficial for African-Americans, whose policies would do the least amount of harm, whose policies are most realistic, who can create an environment for us to push our agenda the farthest and get the most accomplished. And most importantly, you have to identify those who have an anti-black agenda because an anti-black agenda is worse than not having a black agenda. We have to make sure we vote them out of office and make sure people with an anti-black agenda don't get elected into office. That's a, that's a word right there. Let's go to the, uh, I mean, you listen to my brother, brother Michael and Hotep. Let's go to our crew, culture crew. I want to hear what you got to say. Um, Thomas Clayton Powell, you checked in and said, look, let's be clear. They were ejected for breaking the rules of the floor. These two Justins are legislatures now. They need to let that activist mentality go. They're playing a grown man's game. They, they are grown men. And you had right. these grown, you had white grown men acting like children because they didn't want to let them speak. Okay, so if they if, if they broke if they broke house floor rules, you don't have to expel them for that because there've been white Republicans who did a lot worse and did not get expelled in in Tennessee. So you don't have to expel them for this. For that, they represent each one of them represents seventy thousand people. You're gonna disenfranchise seventy thousand people because they're trying to speak up and 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 and, and they were trying to uh, speak for. People who are protesting wanting common sense gun laws to keep right. people from being shot and killed. Okay, right. so so you may say, and well, look, they spoke out of turn, but that doesn't mean that you expel them. And if you go study the backstory, there have been other things that have happened to them leading up to this incident, leading up to the protest. Their badges being de deactivated, uh, their mics being cut off, the way that they're talked to. You had uh, punk ass Andrew Farmer who uh, uh, said to uh, 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 Justin uh, Pearson, uh, basically, you did this to get attention, okay? And uh, he was talking to him. He said, he said that he was throwing a temper tantrum. Children throw temper tantrums. He's basically calling him boy. This is what he's doing in a former Confederate state, okay? Instead of saying, how can we put together common sense gun laws to make sure no more white children get their heads blown off, Instead of saying something like that, they wanted to persecute the people who are trying to call attention to the carnage. OK, so we have to redistribute the pain at the ballot box and vote these white supremacists out of office. No, I totally agree, bro. I totally agree. But here's the big thing that I, I think is very interesting. Isn't being a political leader, an advocate, an activist, shouldn't you want your political leader to stand on the side of right? Thomas, I, I have to disagree with you. They didn't a, absolutely. Why? You shouldn't let go of your activist mentality. Absolutely. Unless you see, see, I guess the person that made that uh, comment wants uh, uh, want, politicians controlled by the lobbyists and the gun lobby, things like this. There are four gun manufacturers in Tennessee. OK, everybody, everybody runs on platforms. Everybody right. runs on policy positions. OK, and these are policy positions that oftentimes come from their own constituents. So you need people who are who are activists. They're speaking for the people they represent. You want them to speak for the lobbyists and the special interests and ignore the needs and concerns of those who, who voted for them. The 70,000 that they represent there in their district. That's idiotic. That's facts. That is facts. 
let's take a couple of other uh, comments from our crew. Uh, official Seneca, you said they acted like privileged white men with power and tried to muzzle those brothers. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and keep in mind, Memphis, Tennessee is where Ida B. Wells was ran out of in 1892 uh, after the Moss store murders where Tom Moss and, and two of his friends were uh, were killed. They uh, they owned a grocery store. Uh, and, you know, uh, Ida B. Wells wrote about the killing. She wrote about the lynchings that were taking place. Her uh, newspaper officers ransacked and she ended up having to leave Tennessee to save her life. Um, Tennessee is where Nathan Bedford Force is from, the first Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, who became Grand Wizard in 1867, for, former general in the uh, for, for um, the Confederate States of America, for, former general uh, in the, uh, the U.S. Civil War. And he led the Fort Pillow Massacre of 1864, where you had uh, at least 200 African-American Union soldiers who were killed after they surrendered, many of them shot in the head. This was it was Nathan Bedford Forrest who who uh, who was the leader of that Confederate army. Now, his bust, the bust of his head stood at the Tennessee State Capitol building up until for, for decades, up until July of 2021. That's when it was finally removed because of protests. And you had some of these same white Republicans who voted to politically lynch these brothers. You had them defending Nathan Bedford Forrest, who's a traitor to the union. They defended his bus being there. So you, you, you have to study the history of, of Tennessee. Former Confederate state committed treason against the Union, took up arms to maintain slavery. And, and it was in 1881 that the Tennessee state legislature imposed segregation laws when it came to public transportation and streetcars, th things of this nature. OK, so what you saw uh, last week is a continuation of what's been happening in Tennessee post Reconstruction. Absolutely. We got to take a quick pause. When we come forward, folks, uh, we're going to switch gears as we talk about the situation with spanking. Um, it's an interesting conversation as we're talking about normalizing corporal punishment. Is it wrong to spank? We'll have that conversation with my brother and, of course, with you. Stay with us. It's the culture here on the Black Star Network. But, Michael, we got like a, a minute left. Talk to us about the work you're doing. Okay, visit our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. Register for the online history classes I teach on Saturdays. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa understand the transatlantic slave trade, but they didn't teach you in school. 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. We deal with thousands of years of history and what leads it to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. You don't have to be present in the class. Uh, we do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. Uh, the class is on sale $60, regularly $130. Then Sundays, I teach black resistance movements from the Haitian Revolution, U.S. Civil War, Civil Rights Movement, and Black Power Movement. We look at history chronologically, 1800 to 1968, to understand how we got to where we are today uh, and the laws and policies put in place to bring us to where we are today to understand where we need to go from here. So visit our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. We also have a bundle pack of both classes as well on sale for only $100. Awesome. My brother, my brother. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Because that helps support the research and finance the African History Network. Thank you. There it is right there. Brother Michael and Hotep of the African History Network. All right. How's everybody doing today? Hotep, hey, this is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. I'm a talk show host, researcher, lecture writer, and historian. So today is Tuesday, April 11th, uh, 2023, and we are live. So I did Faraji Muhammad's show uh, today, The Culture on the Black Star 
uh, network, Roland Martin's network. So some of you all saw uh, that broadcast. And one of the topics we discussed was um, the uh, two African-American uh, lawmakers in Tennessee, Representative Justin Jones, Representative Justin Pearson, uh, as well as uh, Representative Gloria Johnson. Um, the Tennessee, uh, the Republicans in the Tennessee Assembly voting to expel them. Now, we know that um, the white woman, Representative uh, Gloria Johnson, she was able to stay in her uh, assembly seat by one vote. About, it was only one vote that made the difference. Well, we know the two African-American men were expelled and they were standing up calling for uh, common sense gun laws and standing up for not just their constituents, not just the 70,000 people in their respective districts who sent them there, but they're calling for common sense gun laws to protect people in Tennessee. And this, uh, uh, the protest that they led on the assembly floor was uh, spurred by the what happened the previous week in Nashville, Tennessee, with the uh, mass shooting at the at the Christian school where six people were killed, including three uh, nine year olds. OK, so we got the news that on uh, Monday, uh, April 10th, uh, Representative Justin Jones was. Uh, sent back to the state capitol, and he was put back uh, in his seat. So NBC News has this article, ousted Tennessee legislator uh, Justin Jones reinstated after Nashville council vote, reinstated after Nashville council vote. The council suspended the rules to allow an immediate vote on Justin Jones' seat. Less than an hour later, Representative Justin Jones was sworn in on the steps of the state capitol, okay? Uh, so we, we talked about this today, but we had a deeper conversation dealing with uh, white supremacy and racism and also some of the history of Tennessee, some of the racist history of uh, Tennessee. So I wanted to uh, share some more information that we did not get a chance to deal with uh, on today's show. We, we only had uh, about 15 minutes uh, for that segment. Okay, so very briefly here, if we go back to this article, and then also CNN has an article uh, dealing with this as well. And I talked about this last Friday on Roland Martin Unfiltered, uh, as well on the Black Star Network. So download the Black Star uh, Network app and uh, follow Roland Martin on Facebook and YouTube. Follow the African History Network. Follow me on Facebook, the African History Network, and on my personal page, Michael M. Hotep. Uh, I-M-H-O-T-E-P, and then on YouTube, Michael M. Hotep on YouTube, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. So the Nashville Metropolitan Council voted Monday, uh, April 10th, to, re to return Representative Justin Jones to the state legislature after he was removed last week, after he was removed last week uh, by Republicans for protesting gun violence on the House floor. The 36 council members at Monday's meeting, unanimously supported reinstating Representative uh, Justin Jones. Uh, the, the council had suspended its rules to allow an immediate vote instead of holding a month-long nomination period. Now, less than an hour later, uh, Representative Justin Jones was sworn in on the steps of the uh, state capitol, 
He raised his fist as he entered the House chamber while supporters chanted, welcome home. Okay, and um, this is a let's see, Representative walks into the House chamber with Representative. Yeah, this is from Monday. Here's a picture of him uh, coming back triumphantly. Okay, and Representative uh, uh, Gloria Johnson is is with him as well. Okay, he said, I want to welcome uh, democracy back to the people's house. Uh, Johnson said in the speech on the House floor, he said, I want to thank you all not for what you did, but for awakening the people of this state, particularly the young people. Thank you for reminding us that the struggle for justice is fought and won in every generation. Thank you for reminding us that the struggle for justice is fought and won in every generation. Now, uh, Representative uh, Justin uh, Jones and fellow Democrat Justin J. Pearson, uh, who, who were both African-American were expelled last Thursday uh, April 6, 2023, and House votes that drew national attention to racial dynamics in the state's legislative body. Okay, now Representative uh, Jones and former Representative uh, Justin Pearson and State Representative Gloria Johnson had led supporters in chants for calling for gun control measures after a shooting at a Nashville school killed six people, including three nine-year-old children. The three broke House rules and used a bullhorn when they were not recognized to speak because they were on the house floor and they they were trying to speak, the mic, their microphones were cut off. Then they used a bullhorn to call attention to what was taking place. There were also many of the constituents there who were protesting, calling for common sense gun laws. Now, California, uh, uh, Tennessee has some of the most lax gun laws in the country, number one, number two, um, there are four gun manufacturers in the state of Tennessee as well. So the Republicans are beholden to the gun manufacturers and to the gun lobby. Now, House leaders cast the uh, protest, uh, the House Republicans cast the protest as an insurrection, as an insurrection and voted Thursday to expel uh, Representative Jones and Pearson from the General Assembly. Now, Representative Gloria Johnson, who was white, survived her vote which she, which she suggested uh, she, she su suggested had to do with her race. After Monday's council vote, Representative Jones and, and John, uh, Representative Johnson and Jones embraced and locked arms. Now it's expected that Representative Justin Pearson uh, will be uh, returned to the state assembly on Wednesday. It's, it's suspected he will be. We'll, we'll see what happens. Now, hundreds of demonstrators who had assembled outside the Metro Nashville courthouse marched to the state capitol after the council vote. They were joined by uh, Representative Jones and former Representative Pearson. Uh, Representative Justin Jones said, today we send a resounding message that democracy will not be killed in the comfort of silence. This is not about one person. It's not about one position. It's about a movement, okay? And Representative Justin Pearson, who, who's also expelled, said, you might try and silence it. You might try and expel it, but the people's power will not be stopped. The people's power will not be stopped. Okay, now the Shelby County Board of Commissioners which is the body charged with choosing uh, Representative Justin Pearson's uh, successor, will meet on Wednesday, April 12th to consider action 
to uh, reappoint, will consider action to uh, reappoint Justin Pearson's successor. Uh, will consider action to reappoint Justin Pearson to his seat, I should say. Uh, Chairman uh, Mikko Lowry announced on Sunday. Now, uh, Chairman Mikko Lowry said, I believe the expulsion of State Representative Justin Pearson was conducted in a hasty manner without consideration of other corrective action methods. He said, I also believe that the ramifications for our great state are still yet to be seen. I also believe that the ramifications for our great state are still yet to be seen. Now, the Republican Speaker of the House, Cameron Sexton, has committed to seating whomever the two bodies appoint to fill the vacancies, including Jones and Pearson. Okay, now, um, the, the reason why, so they tried to use the pretext, the Republicans tried to use the pretext and said that this was about House decorum and they broke the House rules and things like this. That's not, that's not why, okay? They were trying to put these two African-American men back in their place. What they, what these white men perceived was their place. And um, Representative Justin uh, Jones was on um, uh, Meet the Press uh, Daily. He was on uh, Chuck Todd's show on uh, NBC News Now and talked about how many of those white Republicans look at uh, he as well as Justin Pearson as being uppity, Okay. And one of the things I said on Roland's show, as well as on Faraji Muhammad's show, is that 60, 70, 80 years ago, many of those white Republican men would have been involved in a physical lynching of those of those two African-American men. But, but since they couldn't do a physical lynching, they did a high-tech political lynching. And it's designed to uh, put them in, it's designed to put them in their place and send a clear message that they're not going to tolerate uh protests like that taking place and they really and they really want to suppress the political power that african americans have in in tennessee so republicans told they have a super majority in the state legislature and they have a republican governor as well okay now cnn has an article dealing with this story also um Nashville sends Justin Jones back to the Tennessee House days after GOP lawmakers ousted him. This is from Monday, uh, April 10th. Okay. And you see protests taking place here uh, as well. Okay. So you can read this article uh, from uh, CNN.com also. Okay. When we look at, so, so there was a couple of things that I, I wanted to focus on. Um, one of the things that's missing here is the outcry from the corporate community, from corporations. And what I mean by that is back in 2015, when in the state of Indiana, when you had the Indiana Religious Freedom Bill, okay, you had the Indiana Religious Freedom Bill. And this was ostensibly known as the uh, transgender bathroom bill. Some of you, you all may remember that there was a guy who was the governor of Indiana. His name was Mike Pence. Mike Pence went on to become uh, vice president 
of the United States uh, under the traitor in chief, uh, Benedict Donald, Donald Trump. When the state legislature passed that transgender bathroom deal, there were numerous corporations that came out against this and denounced it and threatened various types of actions against the state of Indiana. They threatened to cancel uh, conferences in Indiana. They threatened to stop projects that were taking place. Okay. NCAA uh, moved uh, one of his games, uh, uh, college basketball. There was all types of economic pressure coming from corporations. This article right here from Huffington Post, Gen Con, which is one of the biggest uh, video gaming uh, conferences in the country. Gen Con threatens to take popular convention and millions out of Indiana over religious freedom bill. America's largest gaming convention threatens to leave Indiana over anti-gay bill. This is from March 25th, 2015. Organizers of Gen Con said, said to be the uh, largest gaming convention in the United States have threatened to take their event and potentially millions of dollars out of Indiana if Governor Mike Pence, Republican, signs a controversial religious freedom bill into law. Now, we know there was one gaming convention. I think it was a gaming convention. We know there was one that actually canceled and took their convention out of Indiana. Senate Bill 101 will prohibit state and local governments from su substantially burdening someone's religious beliefs unless that entity can prove it's relying on the least restrictive means possible to further a compelling governmental interest, MSNBC reports. Supporters of the bill say th that the legislation will protect people and business owners with strong religious beliefs from government interference. Now, Indiana also has very lax uh, gun laws also. So you're not really concerned about protecting people from gun violence because a lot of the illegal guns that flow into Chicago and flow into the state of Illinois come from Indiana. A lot of Republicans don't want to talk about that. But a lot of those illegal guns come from the state of Indiana. Uh, opponents contend that the law could sanction discrimination, particularly against lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender individuals. Well, the corporations came out and denounced all this. I haven't heard any corporations come out and denounce what happened in Tennessee and the ouster of two African-American legislators who were standing up for their constituents and standing up to save lives in Tennessee. I haven't heard any corporations. If you know of some, please let me know. I haven't heard any corporations that came out in support of them and and, and, and threatened to um, uh, cancel conferences in Tennessee or stop projects or anything like that. I haven't heard, I haven't heard, I haven't heard of anything like that. Um, so Gen Con, let's see, let's go back to this here. Gen Con proudly welcomes a diverse attendee base made up of different ethnicities, cultures, beliefs, sexual orientations, gender identities, abil uh, abilities, and socioeconomic backgrounds. Adrian Swartow, uh, owner and CEO of Gen Con, wrote in a letter sent to Mike Pence this week. Legislation 
that could allow for refusal of service or discrimination against our attendees will have a direct negative impact on the state's economy and will factor into our decision our decision making on hosting the convention in the state of Indiana in future years. Okay, now Gen Con claims to be the longest running best attended gaming convention in the world, video gaming convention. According to Swartout, more than 56,000 people attended the convention at the Indiana Convention Center in Indianapolis last year. He also added that the convention pumps more than $50 million into the city annually. Now, so what they did was they leveraged their economics to force a political agenda. I haven't heard corporations coming out in support of these two African-American legislators and what they're fighting for. I haven't heard corporations come out and support them like Gen Con and other corporations came out and supported uh, transgender people being able to use the bathroom of their choice in the state of Indiana. Now, so what happened was, if you don't remember what happened, because I reported on this taking place when it took place and, and on, on the African History Network show, we dealt with it here and then my radio show on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF here in Detroit. OK, so within about a week. They changed the, uh, the, the, the state legislature in Indiana, changed the bill because there was so much pressure put on them, so much economic pressure put on them. Uh, and, 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 and so much pressure in the media. Okay. So if we look at this article here, um, let's see, now this is from MSBC.com and this is, uh, like the following week, name of this article, Indiana governor, Mike Pence, quote unquote, fixes controversial religious freedom law. Indiana's Republican Governor Mike Pence signed into law a proposed fix to the weak old Religious Freedom Restoration Act on Thursday. But will it work? Okay, now, let me just look at this very quickly. This is from April 2nd, 2015. Indiana's Republican Governor signed into law a proposed fix to the uh, WECO Religious Freedom Restoration Act on Thursday amid, uncer amid uncertainty as to whether the move would ease intense criticism plaguing the Hoosier state. Oh, there will be some who think this legislation goes too far and some who think it does not go far enough. But as governor, I must always put the interests of our state. But as governor, I must always put the interests of our state first and ask myself every day, what is best for Indiana? Governor Mike Pence said in a statement, he said, quote, I believe resolving this controversy and making clear that every person feels welcome and respected in our state is best for Indiana. OK, so is making every person feel welcome and safe from being the victim of gun violence in Tennessee best for Tennesseans, Governor Bill Lee of Tennessee. And and uh, Governor uh, and, and uh, House Speaker uh, Cameron Sexton, and uh, Representative Andrew Farmer in Tennessee, Tennessee State Assembly, the so-called fix was met with reactions on Thursday, exactly one week after Governor Mike Pence signed into law the bill and unleashed an avalanche of national scorn. 
unleashed an avalanche of national scoring. While some of the measure's most influential critics uh, from the business community hailed lawmakers' efforts to make clear that the Religious Freedom Restoration Act could not be used to discriminate against patrons on the basis of their sexual orientation or gender identity, more liberal groups argued that the clarification did not go far enough. Social conservatives, meanwhile, expressed frustration with Republican lawmakers for even considering changes that they felt could weaken the law. Okay, so now look at this. Uh, the big question now is whether this fix will effectively calm the intensifying backlash against Indiana or whether it will create more enemies of the state. Okay, now what used to be called Angie's List, okay, the CEO, then CEO of Angie's List, Bill Osterley, said our position is that this fix is insufficient. And and he announced over the weekend, back then in March of 2015, that he would halt the company's planned expansion to its campus in Indianapolis over the new uh a religious freedom restoration act now they're going to you got to understand this this was over this was all over transgendered people being able to use the bathroom of their choice where are where are these same white corporations to stand up for these two brothers who were ousted and also representative glory johnson who was almost ousted and they're standing up trying to protect Tennesseans from gun violence. And they're being targeted by white Republicans, largely white male Republicans. Where's the same outrage from the corporate community? I haven't seen it. Have you seen it? If you have, please send me the articles. I haven't seen it. You can inbox us here, the African History Network on, on Facebook. You can email me, ahnshow at theafricanhistorynetwork.com. I haven't seen the outrage from the corporate community. Quote, there was not a repeal, there was not a repeal of RFRA and no end to discrimination of homosexuals in Indiana. Employers in most of the state of Indiana can find a person simply for being, can fire a person simply for being lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or questioning. That's just not right. And that's the real issue here, end quote. Okay, now. Uh, so when you go research this, there was a number of corporations that came out in support. Uh, I mean, that, 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 that came out in support of the LGBT community and were denouncing this bill. This is why I said, well, wait a second. If you stand up for LGBT, you have to stand up for BLACK. And we have to hold these corporations accountable as well and put economic pressure on them uh, also. Target the top three, four, and look at having nationwide economic boycotts against them to pressure them to put pressure on these Republicans because a lot of these corporations make corporate donations to these Republicans who are consistently voting against our own interests. Okay, so, okay, so we have that article. Then there was one... We know Vice President Kamala Harris uh, went there on Friday. We talked about this on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Um, and uh, she, she uh, went there. She changed her itinerary, uh, went there and, and gave a speech and gave support 
to the Tennessee three uh, and really called attention to what's going on there. And this deals with the uh, gerrymandering that's taking place in uh, Tennessee and the voter suppression that's taking place as well. Uh, Harris meets with expelled black Democrat Democratic lawmakers in Nashville. President Joe Biden on Friday spoke with all three Tennessee Democrats who were targeted for expulsion by Republicans and invited them to the White House. Now, this is from um, April 7th, 2023, April 7th, 2023. We talked about this on Roland Martin the Fifth. We actually showed live footage of it uh, while it was taking place because she uh, gave her speech while we were live on the air on Friday, April 7th. All right, now, if we look at some of the history of uh, Tennessee, we see that the Ku Klux Klan was founded uh, December 24th, 1865 in Pulaski, Tennessee. Okay. And it was founded as a fraternal organization when you study the history of it. Um, pull up this article here. And uh, the Zen Education Project has some, has some information. There's numerous sources on this. The Zen Education Project has some information on this. Um, we know that Tennessee is uh, in, in 1881. Uh, the Tennessee state legislature passed uh, laws to segregate public transportation, streetcars, you know, different things like this uh, to uh, segregate public transportation because they were rolling back the advancements that African-Americans had made during the Reconstruction era, okay? 1865 to 1877, the Reconstruction, Reconstruction era. On December 24th, 1865, the Ku Klux Klan was founded in Pulaski, Tennessee. The group became dedicated to the suppression of Reconstruction reforms and seeks to restore white supremacy through terrorist, terrorist activity, including murder, rape, destruction of property, and intimidation against freed people and their white Republican allies, okay? Then they go and cite uh, some information from the Southern Poverty Law Center that you can check out as well. But December 24th, 1865 in Pulaski, Tennessee, okay? Uh, then we look at the Moss Store murders in 1892. Uh, we look at, so uh, Tom Moss, and his and his friends were killed by a lynch mob in um, uh, Tennessee, and he he was an African American uh, business owner, uh, and this is how Ida B. Wells got involved in the anti lynching movement. So there was a let me see. There's a good article from a good article about Ida B. Wells from PBS.org dealing with the rise and, and, and fall of Jim Crow, the rise and fall of Jim Crow. If we look at this uh, article here briefly. How's everybody doing? If you like this type of information, give us a thumbs up, give us a heart, give us a like. Uh, also, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App and through uh, PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. So let's keep doing the restay on the air. 
keep broadcasting, pay some of the bills, etc. cetera. Uh, be sure to register for the online history classes I teach on Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understand the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. And uh, on uh, that's 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Saturdays. And on Sundays, it's uh, Black Resistance Movements from the Haitian Revolution, U.S. Civil War, Civil Rights Movement, and Black Power Movement. Uh, 1800 to 1968. So visit our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. We have the information there. You don't have to be present in the class uh, when we're live. We do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can watch them on demand. So you don't have to worry about trying to be in class at a certain time. All right. Now, if we look at uh, this article here, this is from uh, PBS.org, Public Broadcasting System, The Rise and Fall of Jim Crow, Ida B. Wells, Forced Out of Memphis, 19, 1892. Ida B. Wells, Forced Out of Memphis, Tennessee, 1892. Okay. And we look at the article here. It says, in March of 1892, Ida B. Wells, a journalist and former Memphis school teacher, started a crusade against lynching after three friends of hers were brutally murdered by a Memphis, Tennessee mob. After three friends of hers were brutally murdered by a Memphis, Tennessee mob. Tom Moss and two of his friends, Calvin McDowell and Henry Stewart, were arrested for defending themselves. Arrested for defending themselves um, against an attack on Tom Moss' store. Tom Moss was a highly successful, uh, highly respected figure in the African-American community. He was a postman uh, as well as the owner of a grocery store. The, the name of the grocery store was called the People's Grocery Store. Uh, a white competitor was enraged. Um, a white competitor was enraged. that Tom Moss had drawn away his African-American customers, hired, uh, so the white competitor hired some off-duty deputy sheriffs to destroy Tom Moss's store. Tom Moss and, and uh, two of his friends were there in the store when these off-duty deputy sheriffs uh, arrived, and they didn't know that they were deputy sheriffs. So naturally, they resisted, okay? So a gun battle break, uh, broke out and several deputies uh, were wounded because Tom Moss and his friends shot them, okay? Tom Moss and his friends uh, shot them, rightfully so. They, it, this was self-defense. They defended themselves. Now, Tom Moss, his two friends, and 100 other African-American supporters were arrested. Several nights later, masked vigilantes dragged Tom Moss and his two friends from their cells, took them to a deserted railroad, and shot them to death. Shot them to death. Enraged by their deaths, Ida B. Wells lashed out at the refusal of the Memphis police to arrest the well-known killers. So these three brothers were lynched, okay? And the, 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 the white grocery store owner is jealous that Tom Moss built a successful grocery store, 
and has successful clientele. So because when you go and look at this history, you say, you say, okay, so you segregate African-Americans and lock us out of many opportunities because you think we're inferior and you think we're superior. Then we build some successful businesses and grocery stores and communities. And because you're so jealous, now you want to destroy the communities and destroy the businesses that we built, or you want to run expressways through them like the Fillmore district in, in uh, San Francisco. And they wiped out 883 businesses and displaced about 20,000 people. Most of them African-Americans who, and many of them were homeowners. So you segregate us because you say we're inferior. And then when we have success in spite of your perceived inferiority, you want to destroy the success. And then, then you want us to say, oh, you, you all should pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps. After we built some successful communities, whether it's uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Black Wall Street, whether it's the Fillmore District in uh, San Francisco, whether it's Seneca Village in New York, and they and, and they took that land through eminent domain and turned that into uh, Central Park. Whether it's the black, whether it's Black Bottom here in Detroit, in the area like near where I live, Black Bottom, here in Detroit, and I three seventy five Expressway came through in nineteen sixty four and wiped out Black Bottom, knocked out about uh, a, dis a displaced uh, a number of homes, and then. Uh, I-75 runs through uh, Paradise Valley, which was an adjacent community, wipes out about 300 uh, African-American-owned businesses. So Ida B. Wells lashed out at the refusal of Memphis police to arrest the well-known killers. She encouraged African-Americans to protest with boycotts of white-owned stores and public transportation. She, so Ida B. Wells encouraged African-Americans to, in retaliation for these murders, to withdraw economic support, redistribute the pain through targeted, sustained economic withdrawal strategies, which is the same thing Dr. King said in his last speech, I've been to the mountaintop, April 3rd, 1968. And he, he said, we have to always anchor our external direct action with the power of economic withdrawal, which means when you have mass protests and you have marches that take place. You also have to have targeted, sustained economic withdrawal strategies to target your opponent, opponent to weak them, weaken them so you can force your agenda. OK, so you can get the concessions that you want. Now, the these lynchings. Uh, that Ida B. Wells was writing about uh, and, and researching, they were a turning point in her life. She began to investigate and reveal that the real motivations that lay behind the lynching, like many middle class African-Americans, Ida B. Wells had accepted the myth. Like many middle class African-Americans, Ida B. Wells had accepted the myth that only poor African-Americans were lynched for heinous crimes, that only poor African-Americans were lynched for heinous crimes. Now, Ida B. Wells was, was now shocked 
into realizing that even innocent middle-class African-Americans could be targets. As Ida B. Wells investigated the reason for lynching, she discovered that a number of victims were lynched not for rape as was written in the newspapers or circulated in rumors where they say the, 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 the black man raped a white woman. She discovered that a number of, of these lynching victims were not uh, lynched for rape, but they were lynched for having sexual relations with consenting white women. They, they, these, many African-American men were lynched for having consensual sex with white women. They, the white women were not raped. What happened was her, her husband found out or her boyfriend found out or her father found out. Okay. And then he gets the good old boys to go lynch this Negro. And he says, oh, they raped her, blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't rape. It was consensual. When you go study the Rosewood massacre, January 1923, Rosewood, Florida. Okay. There was a white woman named Fanny. In, in the in the 1997 Rosewood, uh, 19, I think it was 1997, the movie Rosewood, directed by John Singleton, starring Ving Rhames and John Voight. John Voight is a big uh, uh, Donald Trump supporter. Uh, but but uh, Ving Rhames and John Voight, that's about, and, and, and Don Cheadle, Esther Roll is in the movie also. So that's about the Rosewood Massacre. Okay, this is a, in the movie, there's a lot of fiction in the movie, but it's still a good movie. And is based upon historical events. There's, there's, some fi there's a lot of fiction because the, the character of man portrayed by Ving Rhames, that character didn't exist. That's a fictitious character. It's probably a, a composite character, which is a composite of uh, real people in actions that they did. And just they put that all into one character. But uh, the, the Fanny... The white woman lied and she, what happened was she was having an affair with another white man. She was cheating on her husband. Her white lover beat her. He didn't rape her. He beat her. He assaulted her to cover up the fact that she was having an affair. She lied and said that it was a black man that broke into the house and beat her up. Okay. So at the same time, there was a, uh, a nearby chain gang and there was an escapee of that chain gang, a black man who was an escapee from that chain gang. So you have the sheriff and other white men there in the town thinking, oh, well, it, maybe it's this escapee who beat her up. So they go and terrorize the African-Americans in the city of Rosewood, Florida, which it was a very small city. It's about 200 african-americans and one white family that lived there the white family owned the general store that is uh and john voight portrays the white man who owned that general store so they go and these white people go and terrorize the community hunt down these african-americans kill them torture them trying to find this fictitious, fictitious black man that allegedly beat this white woman behind and she was lying and she was cheating on her husband and 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 we, we, uh, there was a, a meeting of Ku Klux Klansmen in a nearby town. There's about 500 Klansmen that come and descend on Rosewood, Florida. And 
these white supremacists ran all of the African-Americans out of Rosewood, Florida. They then took their land. They then took their land and they removed Rosewood, Florida from the map. It wasn't until decades later that people found out about the history of Rosewood, what happened. It was removed from the map. These African-Americans lost their homes. They lost their land. Arnett Doctor who was portrayed in the movie, he was a little boy at the time, he led the effort to get some type of, of restitution for what happened. They were able to get some type of restitution. They were successful in that effort, okay? But this is just one example, okay? Rosewood, Rosewood Florida, this is just one example. All right, now, uh, so Ida B. Wells discovers that a lot of uh, a lot of the interactions with uh, African-American men and white women was consensual. And she said, nobody in this section of the community believes that old threadbare lie that Negro men rape white women. If Southern men are not careful, a conclusion might be reached, which will be very damaging to the moral reputation of their women, end quote. So the suggestion that white women would willingly have sexual relations with African-American men enraged white men in Memphis and white people in general in Memphis, Tennessee. Since Ida B. Wills did not sign her name to her editorial, the white press assumed a man had written the article. Uh, the Memphis Scimitar, which was the white newspaper, advocated a violent response. They, they printed in the newspaper it will be the duty of those who he has attacked to tie the wretch to a stake, S-T-A-K-E, brand him in the forehead with a hot iron and perform upon him a surgical operation with a pair of shears. They're talking about castrating him. They printed this in the white newspaper. They're advocating castrating, they're, they're advocating hunting down the African-American man or men and castrating them. Now, a mob, a mob of, of white men destroyed Ida B. Wells' newspaper office while Ida B. Wells was out of town. Forced to remain in the North, Ida B. Wells launched a national crusade against, the, against lynching that would capture the attention of the nation and, and Europe. So we know we did not get a national anti-lynching law to 2022, the Emmett Till anti-lynching bill signed in law by uh, President Joe Biden. It took 122 years from uh, 1900 when Representative George Henry White of North Carolina, who was the only African-American left in Congress after the uh, Southern states rewrote their state constitutions to oppose poll taxes and literacy tests and property ownership requirements, grandfather clauses, things like this. And to suppress the African-American vote. So then we got wiped out of a lot of elected office, statewide office, but as well as Congress. He was the only one left in only African-American left in Congress. He uh, uh, proposed the first uh, anti-lynching bill, federal anti-lynching bill. That was in 1900. It took 122 years for an anti-lynching bill to actually be signed into law. Okay. So we've got the monster of murders. We've got, uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest, the Fort Pillow Massacre. Okay, I, I mentioned that as well on uh, uh, Faraji Muhammad's show and uh, Roland Martin and Filtered Study. Now, we teach about the Fort Pillow Massacre. 
in the class I teach on Sundays, uh, Black Resistance Movements from the Haitian Revolution, U.S. Civil War, Civil Rights Movement, and Black Power Movement, 1800 to 1968. So when you go to our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, uh, we have information there um, about that. Okay, now the Civil War, it, it, read this article here by Deneen L. Brown uh, for the Washington Post, October 28, 2018. The Civil War Massacre that near that left nearly 200 black soldiers murdered. The Civil War Massacre that left nearly 200 black soldiers murdered. Let me uh, turn on the screen share here. So this is about this, this white supremacist. Uh, named Nathan Bedford Forrest, who goes on to become the first Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan in 1867. Okay. Um, now, here's a picture of Nathan Bedford Forrest. David Thomas Sr., Deputy Executive Director at the Veterans Administration's Office of Small and Disadvantaged Business Utilization, says he removed this painting from his office after a Washington Post reporter made him aware that its subject, Nathan Bedford Forrest, was a Confederate general and slave trader who served as the Ku Klux Klan's first leader. He was the first Grand Wizard, Nathan Bedford Forrest, this white supremacist. To many people in Tennessee, he's a hero. He's from Tennessee. To many people in Tennessee, he's a hero. How do we know? Well, they had the bust of Nathan Bedford Forrest in the Tennessee State Capitol for decades up until uh, uh, July of 2021, okay? Up until July of 2021. There's a article here, and it, it, I've talked about this before and, we, and um, we deal with all this in the class because this is like a really, really important piece of history This article right here from Fox Channel 17 out of uh, Tennessee. Uh, bust of KKK leader Nathan Bedford Forrest removed from Capitol. And there was, there was, a, there was a lot of uh, white people who were upset that day. Bust of KKK leader Nathan Bedford Forrest removed from Tennessee State Capitol. This article is from Friday, July 23rd, 2021. Okay, Fox uh, 17, uh, uh, WZTV Nashville, WZTV Nashville. For the first time since the 1970s, for the first time since the 1970s, the Tennessee Capitol is no longer home to a bust of early, uh, early Ku Klux Klan leader and Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest. After years of controversy, the bust was officially moved Friday morning. And I, and I remember seeing uh, uh, members of, of, the, uh, of uh, the state uh, assembly, things like this, state legislature, African-American members on MSNBC talking about how they're trying to get this bust removed of this traitor and this, this traitor to the union, this slave trader and grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. He's being honored in the Tennessee state capitol. The bust of the Confederate general and KKK wizard still sat in the capitol 
months after a vote to remove it and two other statutes. Thursday's vote from the State Building Commission was the final step for removal. It's slated to be moved to the Tennessee State Museum. It's slated to be moved to the Tennessee State Museum. While Governor Bill Lee, Republican, and other, others voted yes, Lieutenant Governor Rand McNally and House Speaker Cameron Sexton voted no. Now, Cameron Sexton is the House Speaker right now who led the persecution of these two African-American men. This is the same Speaker Cameron Sexton who voted not to remove the bust of this traitor to the Union and slave trader and Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest, who was the first Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. Tennessee Speaker of the uh, State Assembly, Cameron Sexton, said in the statement, quote, trying to judge past generations actions based on today's values and the evolution of societies is not an exercise I am willing to do because I think it's counterproductive. So you thought the political lynching of uh Representative Justin uh, Jones and Representative Justin Pearson was productive. He said it's it is much more productive to learn from our past and not repeat the imperfections of the past. Any attempt to erase the past only aligns society with the teaching of communism which believes the present dominates the past. I don't know what the hell communism has to do with this. You're talking about a traitor to the union. Now keep in mind, Tennessee is one of the former Confederate states that took up arms against the union, seceded from the union, joined the Confederate States of America because they wanted to maintain slavery. Now they may say, oh, it's about states' rights. It's about states' rights to own slaves because the first state to secede from the union was South Carolina, in 1860, December 6, 1860, uh, about six weeks after, I'm sorry, December 20th, 1860, about six weeks after Abraham Lincoln becomes president-elect in November of 1860. And these Southern states fear Lincoln is gonna free the slaves, okay? Because he's the candidate of the newly formed Republican Party, which was formed uh, by groups of abolitionists and, uh, the Republican Party was formed as a backlash to the Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854, which was going to allow for the westward expansion of slavery into the Kansas-Nebraska territories. Okay, this is the Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854 is one of the things that leads to the Civil War taking place. And we're going to see armed conflict break out in the Kansas territory, and it's known as Bleeding Kansas and this armed conflict between pro-slavery and anti-slavery groups. So you're going to have about 55 people, 55 to 60 people killed from about 1855 to 1859 in what's known as Bleeding Kansas. Okay, so read the, read the rest of this here. Um, Lieutenant Governor Rand McNally uh, said, quote, my position on the bust of Nathan Bedford Forrest has been clear and consistent over a number of years. I believe that context is needed, but not removal. No one is arguing that Nathan Bedford Forrest is not a problematic figure. He is, but there is more to his history. His life eventually 
followed a redemptive arc, which I hope is outlined in great detail in our state museum. Lieutenant Governor Ram McNally said in part, he went on to say, this is not the end, it is the beginning. The left will move on to the next figure or monument and demand that we again kneel at the altar of political correctness. While the governor and the constitutional officers did not stand with me today, I hope they will next time because more fights are coming. Now, Representative Antonio Parkinson, chairman of the Tennessee Black Caucus uh, state uh, Black Caucus of State Legislatures issued the following statement on the vote to remove the bust of the first Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan and former Confederate General Nathan Bedford Force. He said, we are appreciative that the State Building Commission has done the right thing in voting to remove the Nathan Bedford Force bust from his position in the most powerful building on our land the Tennessee State Capitol. While this move signifies a great step in beginning to heal our divided state, we understand that this is a sensitive matter to some and a symbolic victory to others. We also understand that there is a bigger issue at stake, and this is becoming a Tennessee where all people feel welcome and free to thrive and prosper. Now let's get back to the business of improving access to quality health care because Republicans don't want to do that. Providing equality education for all residents, Republicans don't want to do that. They want to, they want to suppress the teaching of African-American history and banned books and putting money into the households of hardworking Tennesseans. Okay, so read the, rest of, read the rest of this article here. Now, this deals with Nathan Bedford Force, the first Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, who became Grand Wizard in 1867. And he's also a, a former Confederate general, and he led the uh, Fort Pillow attack, okay, the massacre at Fort Pillow in April 1864. Well, what was the Fort Pillow attack, Michael M. Hotel? I'm glad you asked. Okay, now, um, in a, uh, so Major General Nathan Bedford Forrest, who was a ruthless slave trader, the first Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan and the man who led the Confederate forces in a bloody Civil War battle in 1864 that became known as the Fort Pillow Massacre. Okay. So the battle to regain Fort, Fort Pillow, P-I-L-L-O, began April 12, 1864, when Nathan Bedford Forrest led 2,500 Confederate cavalry in, a, in an attack on the fort about 40 miles north of Memphis, Tennessee, according to the National Parks Service, National Park Service. The fort was held by Union troops, including 295 white soldiers and 262 colored soldiers under the command of Major Lionel F. F. Booth, Major Lionel F. Booth. The Confederates included sharpshooters, it, the Confederates, including sharpshooters, unleashed a storm of bullets on the fort, killing uh, uh, Booth, okay, Major uh, Lionel F. Booth. Booth. Uh, Major Nathan Bedford Forrest demanded uncondi unconditional surrender, although outnumbered by the Confederate soldiers. 
Major William F. Bradford, who had taken command of the Union troops, refused to surrender. Okay, the Union troops are the North, Confederates are the South. Confederates renewed the attack, soon overran the fort, and drove the Federals uh, down the river's bluff into a deadly crossfire, according to the National Park Service. As many as 300 Union soldiers, including 200 black soldiers, were killed. Many were shot point blank in the head. Many of them were executed point blank, point blank in the head. Mark Lemming, L-E-A-M-I-N-G, was the highest ranking Union officer to survive the battle. His eyewitness account written nearly 30 years later on April 14th, 1893 would stand as a testament to what happened at Fort Pillow. Okay. So he goes through and it goes through and explains this. And, um, he says many of the colored soldiers seeing that no quarters were to be given madly leaped into the river while the rebels, the Confederates stood on the banks or part way up the bluff and shot at their heads, shot at the heads of their victims, end quote. Now, Mark Lemming fell on the side of the bluff near the bank of the Mississippi River. He said, I could plainly see this firing and note the bullets striking the water around the black heads of the soldiers until suddenly the muddy current became red and I saw another life sacrificed in the cause of the Union, he wrote. Then Mark Lemming noticed a black soldier in the river clinging to life. Quote, two Confederate soldiers pulled him out, Lemming recalled. He seemed to be wounded and crawled on his hands and knees. Finally, one of the Confederate soldiers placed his revolver to the head of the colored soldier and killed him. This is under the command of Nathan Bedford Forrest who white Republicans in the Tennessee state legislature did not re want to remove the bust of his head because he meant so much to them. Confederate soldiers pulled down the stars and stripes flag, Mark Lemming wrote, and hoisted the stars and bars, which was the, which was the um, flag of the Confederacy. In May 1864, the New York Times, because the New York Times is over 100 years old, in May 1864, the New York Times received a letter from a naval officer describing the bloody scene at Fort Pillow and demanding the Union government retaliate. Okay, so read the rest of this article here. This deals with the, the brutal Fort Pillow massacre under the command of good old Nathan Bedford Force, the first Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. But he turned his life around after all that. After, after, after all that treachery, he turned his life around and settled down. And, you know, he, he, he's just a good old boy, never meaning no harm. Beats all you ever saw get in trouble with the law since the day he was born. All right. We also know that um, April 4th, 1968, Memphis, Tennessee, where Dr. King was assassinated as well. Uh, we know he was there uh, to support the uh, Memphis sanitation workers in their strike, African-American Memphis sanitation workers in their strike. And in Nashville, Tennessee, April 1960, uh, we know you have the, the boycott of the downtown business district to break the back of segregation. 
John, John Nash, I mean, um, John Lewis, Diane Nash, Reverend C.T. Vivian. When you watch the first Eyes on the Prize series, uh, the third installment, Ain't Scared of Your Jails, 1960-1961, they deal with that. Uh, they talk about that as well. And it's going to be after that uh, boycott, shortly after that, SNCC is going to be formed, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. All right. So check out this information. How's everybody doing? Check out this information here. If you like this type of information, uh, you can also support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Be sure to register for the online uh, history classes that I teach on Saturdays and Sundays. We have that information. Uh, lastly, so this story broke today. Um, Tennessee Republican governor calls on uh, state lawmakers to toughen gun restrictions. Okay, this is Governor Bill Lee, and we'll, we'll see what happens with this. Uh, this is a direct result of the protests that have been taking place in Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee Republican governor calls on uh, state lawmakers to toughen gun restrictions. This is from Tuesday, April 11th, 2023. This is Republican Governor Bill Lee. He's under intense pressure right now. Tennessee uh, Republican Governor Bill Lee on Tuesday urged the state's legislature uh, to pass additional gun control measures and especially charged uh, subject in a state that recently suffered a school shooting and the acrimonious expulsion of two black Democratic uh, lawmakers who call for greater uh, firearm restrictions. Quote, I'm asking the General Assembly to bring forward an order of protection law, an order of protection law, a new strong order of protection law uh, will provide the broader population cover safety from those who are a danger to themselves or the population. End quote, Governor Bill Lee said at a news conference, adding that he would like legislators to pass the legislation uh, within the current legislative session, which ends in a few weeks. Now, the governor said specifics for the order of protection law had yet to be determined, but encouraged lawmakers from both parties to work together on the matter. It is unclear if the Tennessee House and Senate which are both GOP-led by a wide margin, will bring up the matter. CNN has reached out to the state's uh, Senate Majority Leader and House Speaker for comment, okay? Um, uh, Governor Bill Lee said, we should be very serious about real solutions and about getting real solutions across the finish line, and I look forward to working with the General Assembly to do just that. It is possible to get this done. It is possible to get this done. We should work to set aside our differences and accomplish something that Tennesseans want us to get accomplished, end quote. Now, Governor Bill Lee, Republican of Tennessee, signaled that he plans to sign an executive order strengthening the state's gun background checks by setting a 72-hour clock or time period for new criminal activity. Tennessee Governor Bill Lee said it will also ensure courts will, will, will provide timely and accurate information to the Tennessee Bureau of Investigations. The executive order will also require the Tennessee Bureau of Investigations to analyze current 
the current process for sharing information during the process of buying a gun so changes can be made if necessary according to governor bill lee read the rest of this article at cnn.com tennessee republican governor tennessee republican governor um hold on what is this here okay tennessee republican governor calls on state lawmakers to toughen uh gun restrictions all right and, and then there was a uh piece that i saw dealing with the gerrymandering that is uh taking place in uh tennessee as well and this is how republicans have had uh such a dominance in the in the state legislature in the uh, state assembly this one here you could read this one here i don't have time to get into it this is from nbcnews.com how redistricting brought tennessee to this moment politics watchers note that republican efforts in the state to minimize representation of democrats on both the federal and state levels have been years in the making okay have been years in the making how redistricting brought tennessee to this moment all right now this is from uh april 11 tuesday april 11 2023 um and okay but politics watchers in tennessee and around the nation say that what happened was nothing new for the state's gop lawmakers and that the process republicans have taken to minimize the representation of Democrats on both the federal and state levels has actually been years in the making. In recent years, Republicans have redrawn maps that effectively curtail the number of districts that represent Democrats, including some of the most diverse districts in the state, and increase the number of solidly red ones. The end result has been less representation for Democrats and for black constituents in the state house in Nashville and in the US Congress. This is why voting is so important because they were able to do this, Republicans were able to do this because they were in control because they were voted in the office. All right, so read that article as well. Uh, now, lastly, people may ask the question, well, is there a connection between uh, Memphis in Egypt and Memphis, Tennessee? Okay, very good question. I'm glad you asked that question. You must be watching the African History Network show to uh, think that there's a connection and ask that question. There is a connection. Memphis, Tennessee is named after Memphis in Egypt. And we know uh, Memphis in Egypt in ancient times, that was the capital city of Menefer. Okay. So um, the University of Memphis has a good piece here from the Institute of Egyptian Art and Archaeology from the University of Memphis, memphis.edu, memphis.edu. Brief history of the uh, Institute of Egyptian Art and Archaeology. And they talk about the city of Memphis, Tennessee. City of Memphis, Tennessee has always had a special connection to its ancient namesake, ancient namesake Memphis, Egypt. Memphis, Egypt. The American city of Memphis, Tennessee was founded in 1819 by General Andrew Jackson, white supremacist General Andrew Jackson, who later become, became president and signed the Indian Removal Act of 1830 into law. General James Winchester, 
and John and, and Judge John Overton. Okay, these were the founders of the city of Memphis, Tennessee. Based on its strategic position at the head of the Delta of the Mississippi River, the head of the Delta of the Mississippi River, the Mississippi River is sometimes called the American Nile or American Nile River. The city of Memphis, Tennessee was named after the ancient city at the ancient capital of Egypt, Memphis, which was located at the head of the Nile River Delta. So the Mississippi River is looked at as the American Nile River, the, the, the counterpart to the Nile River um, in uh, ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt. The citizens of Memphis have maintained their connection with, the ancient, with ancient Egypt through the years. In 1917, Robert Galloway, chairman of the Memphis Park Commission, presented two large quartzite blocks to the city of Memphis. These blocks originally part of these blocks originally part of a palace in ancient Memphis. Memphis are decorated with figures and inscriptions of the 26th dynasty around 550 BCE before the common era, common era. Pharaoh, Pharaoh on the Subiti Amasis. Okay. Uh, more recently, the city of Memphis built its own pyramid, a huge structure of steel and glass that dominates the downtown skyline. Okay, so check this out also. We deal with a lot of history like this in the uh, class I teach on Saturdays, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Uh, we have about seven books that we reference, uh, about 100 articles or so. You don't have to buy any of the books to follow along in the class. Visit our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. You can register for the course. Courses don't sell $60, regularly $130. Uh, next classes meet uh, Saturday, April 15th, uh, April 22nd, April 29th, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Click here to register for the full course. And as soon as you register, the previous classes that we did are archived. You can uh, watch those. And uh, we have a video here that you can watch. That's a preview of the class. And on Sundays, I teach from uh, Black Resistance Movements from the Haitian Revolution to the U.S. Civil War, Civil Rights Movement, the Black Power Movement, 1800, 1968. That class is on sale, $160 regularly, $100, $130. So it's over 50% off right now. We have a bundle pack where you get both classes for uh, $100, okay? And you get five lectures from me that will be in the video library. They'll be in digital uh, format. Okay, so uh, join us for the uh, online classes on the weekend. The content is PG-13. You can use this information with your children as well. That's not overly graphic. I don't do a lot of cursing, anything like that. We have a PayPal cash app information here. This is our official cash app account, dollar sign, the AHN show through cash app. When you go to it, it says Michael and shows my picture there. You can click right here on the cash app link. It has our QR code. This helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, pay some of the bills. Uh, finance our Sunday night show, the African History Network show uh, as well. All right, look, we have to get out of here. Remember at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct wrong behavior. Uh, it's not over till we win. Wakanda forever. Hope you all learned a lot today. Follow us on our social media platforms and follow us on Instagram at uh, the AHN show on Instagram or Michael M. Hotep. Uh, this is Michael M. Hotep on Instagram also. All right. Talk to you next time. Peace.